Good morning, church. I want to invite you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. Nehemiah, chapter 8. And we'll be reading there shortly. Well, sometimes things don't go as planned. I can testify. Um, The plan, and the plan's still on, but the plan was to, uh, to move uh, part of my books uh, that I keep in the office here to a new office in Louisiana. So we're going to be leaving after the service. And, uh, and the plan was to load those up. I had some, some of you came and helped yesterday, and we loaded those up. And then I drove over to the tractor supply store just to get some straps to kind of secure the load inside so those boxes didn't shift. And I had to get up and down a couple times out of the back of the truck. And, and on one of those times, my foot went to where there was supposed to be a step, and, um, and it wasn't there. And I went out the left side and had what I considered a rather violent encounter with the asphalt. And uh, not sure exactly what happened. Didn't black out. I was a little dazed. Glasses went everywhere. And uh, discovered later as we went to the ER, I had a broken wrist. Had going to have to have surgery on that. Uh, when I get to Louisiana, it'll be one of my first things I get to do. And uh, I have some bruised ribs, which right now I really don't appreciate any humor because it hurts to laugh. <laughs> and uh, uh, anyway, so I got ready by myself this morning because I am going to be by myself after a couple of days. And I needed to know that I could get dressed and shower and shave with one hand. And I did it, sort of, mostly. It only took two hours <laughs> to get this. So, um, so anyway, I appreciate your your prayers for us. This was not a part of the transition that I had hoped you would be praying for, but I would appreciate it now. Uh, We are going to be headed south after the service. In fact, I'm going to slip out during the offertory prayer. I can't hug anybody anyway, and um, but I want you to know that I love you, that you have been and will remain in my prayers uh, throughout the remainder of my life. You have left your mark on me, And I mean that in a good sense. The Lord has used our relationship with one another to grow me in Christ and to change me. And I hope that he has in your life as well. We are, uh, if you're not aware of it already, we we are going to serve an association of churches down along the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain, across from New Orleans. And a group of 90 churches mostly smaller membership churches, that have been surrounded by subdivisions and rapid growth. Um, That area has become a bedroom community for New Orleans, and so you have these churches, smaller membership churches, rural churches that have these expensive subdivisions that have popped up all around them, and and, uh, they're experiencing a real challenge in how to to, uh, share the gospel in that kind of setting. And it's going to be my privilege to really work with pastors and church leaders 
to encourage them. My desire is that, that those things that I believe are crushing to pastors, that we can begin to uh, examine and consider another way to be a shepherd that enables you to thrive no matter what circumstances that you face. But that's a whole other topic. Um, the Louisiana State Baptist Evangelism Conference is Monday and Tuesday, tomorrow and Tuesday. And it's meeting in the church where my office will be located at First Baptist Covington. And I'm going to be uh, briefly, very briefly, on the program. They've asked me to come. And, um, and so that's part of our, our haste in getting down there. It's just going to be an opportunity to begin to meet some folks. You know, six years ago, I stood in this spot uh, this month and began serving as your interim pastor. And as we began to relate to one another in that, in that way, it was obvious to me that God was doing something special in the relationship between the church and between the church and myself. I just saw the Lord doing so many neat things in your lives. That's continued through the six years. And just individual stories and testimonies of God at work, things that he has said to your heart. And I've just watched him work in your lives. And that has... That is always a blessing to a pastor, but, but at that point in time, to me, it was unusual that that would happen during an interim period. And it gives me the opportunity to say to you that the interim period that you're about to go into without a senior pastor in place is not at all time that's wasted. It's not a time to consider as a pain or a difficulty or a problem, but it's a marvelous opportunity to take advantage of what God is doing between senior pastors. And uh, I talked about this last Sunday night. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go online and listen to that. But, but it's a very special time in the life of a church, and it can be extremely valuable if we connect with what God is doing during that time. So I want to encourage you to do that. But for me, uh, when I came here six years ago, this was the eighth interim pastorate that I had uh, taken on in Arkansas. And we had a rule that if you were an interim pastor, you could not be considered as a candidate for pastor. So if you ever wondered how I feel about rules, um, it's kind of obvious that we broke that rule in this case. And, um, but I did get permission, and if you'll remember, I resigned before I became a candidate to be your pastor. When I, when I was praying about it, and the search committee came and spoke to me and asked if I would pray about it, I told them at the time I was just in a really busy season of life, and and I needed some time to really be alone with the Lord and hear his voice and to know that it was God that was speaking. And it didn't take 30 days. I thought it might take 30 days. Actually, I think it only took a couple of weeks. But when the God began to speak to my heart, it was out of this book, Nehemiah. And I, I, part of it is too personal to share, but I can just simply say that what I saw in Nehemiah became a model or a paradigm for the ministry that I was going to have here and that, in fact, I have had here on a personal level. And it was a picture of a guy who was a second chair guy in the administration somewhere else who was reassigned to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But it's pretty obvious, and we're going to see this in the text that we're going to read in just a moment, that it was much more than an assignment to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It was an assignment to rebuild a people for God. To be an instrument, in his case, of 
exposing people to the presence of God and that God would have his way and could have his way with individuals as well as the nation as a whole. And so as I became your pastor, the Lord assured me of a couple things. One, uh, just like Nehemiah, I believed that there would be great favor from the Lord uh, being your pastor, and there has been. I have not sat down and counted up how many people were saved over the last six years, but there was a whole truckload, wasn't there? And there were periods of time where it seemed that the baptistry, well, we did for months and months and months and months. We just kept it full because it was always needed week by week. And so there were times where we just experienced great favor from the Lord. Uh, there are other times, and like Nehemiah, where um, there, were, there, were, there was opposition that Nehemiah experienced. And even though there was a human face to that opposition in the book of Nehemiah, the fact the truth is, is it wasn't a human face, it was a face of the enemy himself, a supernatural personality who hates the advance of the gospel, who hates seeing people saved, who absolutely hates families and children, who, uh, who wants to do everything he can to continue in any way he can to oppress spiritually the people of the Delta in eastern Arkansas. And so whenever you see a church or a ministry or a group of Christians who set out to do God's work in the Delta of Arkansas, you can expect to see also with that great opposition and adversity. And I think that we've experienced that too, that the enemy has done his very best to unravel God's mission and purpose for this church. But I want you to hear me as your your pastor for one more service, that where the enemy attempts to do things, God's purpose will prevail. And that all that God has in mind to accomplish through Wind Baptist Church, he will accomplish. But he does it as we trust him and as we follow him as his people. So it's not a matter of waiting for the next pastor to be about that. It's really about where am I today in relationship to the Lord, and am I following him, and in that sense, contributing to the body of Christ. So I just want to, um, I had uh, a message that I thought was going to be too long, and as I prayed through it, I just, I just want to focus on one thing. I'm going to narrow this down to a focus. I, I am on drugs, so um, and I, my wife said, and I will not be driving today. I thought I could drive a truck one-handed, but uh, I can't even shake your hand without it hurting, so um, I'm not going to try that today. I want to I just speak to you briefly about how to thrive in troubled times, and I want to call attention to this text in Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8 occurs after the people have rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. In that day and time, if a wall did not exist around a city, that city was absolutely vulnerable to its enemies. The enemy could come and go at will, do whatever he wanted to, to destroy the people, to disrupt their commerce, to disrupt their lives. And so when Nehemiah heard that the walls were in disrepair and burned down, he knew 
that that was still a lingering marker of judgment from the disobedience of previous generations. And it broke his heart. He, he sat down and wept. He, he fasted. He mourned. He sought the face of God. And he was broken. When he heard the news about the walls of Jerusalem being broken down, uh, he could never see life the same way again. He had a picture of the condition of the nation from God's perspective. And dear one, that is what breaks us, is when we see our lives from his point of view, when we see our church from his point of view. And that's the point of view we've got to have. And, and so when Nehemiah, Nehemiah saw that, he just wept and for about four months was in a period of prayer and fasting. And then God began to guide him and speak to him and he came back to Jerusalem. He led the people to rebuild those walls there weren't even any houses in it, hardly. But they built those walls so that the people could come and move back into the, into the city. So the walls have been completed by chapter 6, chapter 7. And, and now something very special happens. And it is the proof that Nehemiah's life was more than just rebuilding walls. It was more than organizational success. It was more than organizational growth. That rebuilding the walls was all about rebuilding the people of God. That was just an instrument. That was a pathway to doing what God wanted to accomplish. And so when you come to chapter 8, it describes how all the people are gathered together in one place. And many people will call this a solemn assembly, that there are several examples of this in the Old Testament. They gather together. They're going to have a worship service. And Ezra gets up, and he's standing there with a uh, I can't remember, I didn't count how many, but probably about a dozen other priests. He's a scribe. And they, are, they have the Word of God. The walls are rebuilt, and they begin to bless the Lord. They are worshiping the Lord. And then they begin to read the Scripture. And not only did they read the Scripture, they began to explain this Word from God. And as the people heard it, they were devastated. Because as they heard the Scripture being taught, they realized we have not been doing these things that God wanted us to do. And, and obviously their desire was to please God because they rebuilt the walls. They wanted to be the people of God, but suddenly they were hearing about the requirements of the law and all the things that were being expected of them. And they realized that they had, were so far from God's mark, so far from God's standard, and they were completely devastated. They began to weep, they began to wail, they began to cry out. And so in verse 8 of chapter 8, it's talking about these men who are reading. It says, so they read distinctly from the book and the law of God and gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat. That's like get some filet mignons or something. He, he's saying get it. Feast, drink the sweet things, send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our 
Lord. And then here's the phrase, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. In Luke chapter 19, there's this story of a man named Zacchaeus. You remember him? Zacchaeus, we little man was he? And Jesus is coming through town, Jericho, and, and so Zacchaeus climbs a tree. You remember that? Jesus comes, and Jesus looks up there. He's never met this man. He calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down from here, for I must eat at your house. And so Zacchaeus comes down, and Jesus goes and eats with him. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Tax collectors were despised in Jewish society. They were not paid by the Roman government. They were supported, protected, empowered by the Roman government to collect the Roman taxes. They got paid by whatever they could add to that. So whatever I thought you could pay, I'd get the Roman tax out of you, and then whatever I could add to that, I would get for myself. And Zacchaeus, in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became so convinced that his old way of life was wrong that he, he got up and he made some some remarkable statements. He said, look, if I've stolen from anybody, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to make it right. And then Jesus says that salvation today has come to this house. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And Jesus is is making really a celebratory statement that here's a man who was outside of the presence of God, outside of a relationship with God. He was out in darkness. He was going to hell. He was going to be separated for all eternity from God. And he has turned to God with all his heart. He's ready to do whatever will please God. And Jesus says, this is what I came for. This is the good stuff. And and earlier in Luke 15, it talks about the lost coin. You remember that? The lost coin. Talks about the the lost sheep. Talks about the lost son, the prodigal. In each case, there's this celebration that takes place when the lost thing is found. And it's not necessarily a celebration on the part of people. It's a celebration emanating from the heart of God. He's the one that's rejoicing. He's the one that's joyful. He's the one that's pleased. That's what Nehemiah is describing here in Nehemiah 8. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Here are these people, they're broken. We've messed up. We haven't done what God wanted us to do. We've been doing our own thing. We've been, we read the text now and we realize how far we have fallen short of what God wants from me, what God wants from us. And those shepherds very wisely said, look, this day is holy to the Lord. Why? Because they were turning to the Lord with all their heart. They they knew that they had failed, and while they were broken about that, while they were disturbed about that, they were turning to God. Just like Zacchaeus turned to God. And so how does God respond to that when someone turns to him? We focus on our sins and our failures and how far we fall short. But how is God responding to us when we turn to him? 
There is dancing in heaven, rejoicing from the heart of God. They said, look, this isn't a time to weep. Go home, feast, celebrate. Why? Because the pleasure of God on your life is the thing that you need the most. The joy of the Lord is your strength. His pleasure on your life is what you want. It's what you're looking for. Whatever else you're doing in life is a shallow substitute for this. This relationship with God where you just turn to Him with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and you give Him your heart, your love, your passion. You give Him your life. He rejoices. He doesn't turn anyone away like that. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how badly you think you've messed up. When someone repents, turns to God like that, He receives them, and it changes them, and that's why His pleasure is your strength. This morning, right now, if, if you don't think that God is pleased with you, I'm not worried about your neighbor or someone else down the pew or upstairs or downstairs. If you don't believe that God is pleased with you, I want to encourage you just to turn to Him and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? When I read this scripture, these people realized they had fallen short also. And, and they were broken, and they were disturbed, and I'm broken, and I'm disturbed. But what are you saying to me here? The Lord is saying, turn to me. Come to me. You can't do anything about your sin. I can. You can't take away your guilt. I can. You can't take away the penalty that you deserve for the things that you have done and the ways you have offended me and hurt me, but I can do something about that. Peter would write years later, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, referring to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for your sins. And that message, rightly understood that Christ took my place, that Christ died for my sins, is a message that will absolutely change your life. It is the strength that you're looking for. It is the change that you're looking for. It is the thing that will satisfy your soul. Whatever else you're looking for, that's what you're looking for. He made you for himself. When we realize we're wrong and we feel hopeless, wouldn't it be really neat to discover that the moment I turn to the Father and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those things that I've done. I'm sorry for the days without number where I've ignored you or neglected you. I've not bothered to pray about anything for a very long time. The moment we turn to Him, He rejoices. And He begins to do His work. And so I want to invite you in just a few moments. We're going to stand and sing. I want to invite you right where you are to do business with the Lord. Not only do you need to do this, your church needs you to do this. To turn to Him with all your heart and say, God, if there's something that needs a change in me, I'm ready. I haven't been trusting you, Lord. I'm going to start trusting you. 
I haven't been listening to your voice. I haven't been hearing what you've been saying to me. Now I want to hear you, Lord. I want to listen to you. I haven't invested in anybody but me. And now I'm ready to invest in others. I want to make disciples. You said, Lord, to go and make disciples of all nations. I'm ready to make disciples. I'm ready to help other people follow you. But, Lord, i got to start first. I want to follow you today. Lord, I haven't been resting in you. I've been trying to protect myself, make things work, grow my business, grow my family, take care of things, and do it all my own strength. And now I realize, Lord, that you have said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so, Lord, I turn to you. I don't understand it, but I'm turning to you. Lord, teach me how to walk with you in a way that is rest. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to come. I'll be here, Mike, the the lone surviving pastor, will be here as well. And we would be delighted to pray with you and share how a person can put their trust in Jesus and their life be changed forever, their heart be transformed. You may just need someone to pray with you. We'd be happy to do that. Just don't hug me but I'll pray with you. But according to your need, we'd love the opportunity to minister with you. But but what's most important right now is what is God saying to you? What is God saying to your heart? And how will you respond to him? God loves the Delta. God loves you.